On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I have one of our nearest and dearest friends on, Ted Knutson, CEO of Statsbomb. We also do a little bit on the subject everyone's talking about, the merger, which isn't really a merger. And Rufus and I give some predictions about it, and we talk, try to talk about the facts, and we uh, babble for a while, which is not what we normally do. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems and- like they don't get it. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It is a post-live merger with, but it's not a merger. Is it a merger? Not a, apparently, it's 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 not even live. It's PIF, PIF, right? Which sounds, um, stands for something investment fund from Saudi Arabia. But the P is principal. I don't know. Maybe the P is silent, like in pneumonia, pneumonia. So maybe it's if. Hmm. Or mnemonic. Um, so we were going to have someone on that knew something about this. And we asked some people. And I think the reality is nobody knows anything about this. I mean, like everyone's just kind of like, I obviously I've heard some, like the things that are, maybe we should just think about like, what are the definitive things that we know? Like definitively, the players had no idea that this was going on. And I was with someone um yesterday that's that's close with tiger and he mentioned that tiger had no idea about this until like right before it happened like essentially and like definitively the players that didn't go to live are pissed right that's pretty definitive like we've heard uh, a lot of that um it does seem like something that jay monahan decided to do somewhat unilaterally like somewhat and his motivation for doing that, we have no idea. I've heard a lot of r- different rumors about why that is. I mean, the obvious one is that there's a lot of money at stake for him. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, are there any other facts? I mean, I guess like the live golfers seem pretty happy. That's a fact. Um, yeah. It seems like they're going to have to do something to rejoin the PGA, whether it's pay something or whatnot, or they're going to have to. I. Yeah, probably. It's hard I think to this say is a good, how this is kind of a fun. Let this is a fun exercise though for a second. Let's talk about all the things that we can kind of say are facts right now about this. Is there any other facts that you think? I don't think. I mean, no agreement has really no official agreement's been signed, right? I think it's just a preliminary. That's thing. a that's a fact. That's very, a fact. True. That's so fact. right now we're speculating on something that's not official. Um. I saw but it's been joke. announced. It's not very funny. Uh, I saw your joke on that you sent me. On somebody Twitter. sent this. On, somebody on, sent me a joke that was kind of. I don't know if it's in poor taste, but it was a great. Yeah, let's joke. Not, let's, not, let's not tell a joke. Let's not okay. tell a joke. We, if anyone wants to privately DM us, we can tell you the joke. Um, okay. Other facts. I, I like that there isn't actually. This isn't decide because there there was some thought that maybe 
the policy board, PGA policy board. I think one of the interesting things is that the PGA is purported to be a player run organization. Yet Jay Monahan made this decision almost unilaterally. So I'm not sure how that works. Well, I guess they put him in place as commissioner. Right. Right. But theoretically, if they fire him, then can they just go back on this? I don't know how to, I don't know how they go about firing him, but if, if they, if it is a player run organization, then I think that probably ends up happening. But with the new proposed structure, that may not be the case. So maybe this is his way of saving his own ass. Um, do we think net net it's a fact that this is good for golf? I don't think that I don't think that's a fact. Now we're getting into opinions. Um, why? I mean, isn't isn't it isn't it don't you think like it's been a little weird and fragmented since Liv has happened and like But it means we have to it means we have to listen to more interviews with Bryson DeChambeau. So you fact, don't actually have you don't actually have to listen to them, and I, and and you would actually say that there's a chance that you're going to have to listen to fewer of those interviews because now he's going to be part of the PGA and Which not him an less outlier relevant. as part of the yeah yeah unless he plays well again you know I mean yeah I mean so it's good for golf if you want everybody all the top players playing together okay right. I think we do I think we do. Do we think it's going to help? I always say, they always say grow the game, which I don't even know what grow the game means. Does that mean like having growing the game for kids and and people like more people getting into the game, or does that mean make the interest in the game greater? I don't know. If grow the game means make the total market bigger, that's good for betting. So I'm a fan of that. In the short term, though, I think from a betting perspective. It's another market. I well, there's there'll be one fewer market to bet in, bet on, bet into than there was this year. I, I think live probably goes exists till the end of the year. But I've heard it might more exist. tournaments is fine by me. I, I like more tournaments, yeah. more things to bet on. Nobody's so really a fact is there'll be fewer tournaments to bet on. I think so. Hmm. What what do we know about Greg Norman? Because Liv, remember, this isn't Liv merging with the PGA, which Rory, Rory pointed out. It's Liv and PIF, and PIF is backing, or sorry, it's PGA and PIF, and PIF is backing Liv. I mean, again, like, this is where I think this all this conjecture, it, it seems like Norman has been a very um, polarizing character, and yes. having him not be part of this thing going forward was probably one thorn that could be removed from the side of Jay Mon or I don't know the new entity. I don't know where, wh- who's whose thorn this is in the side of. I maybe I guess the players are the the where the thorn is. I mean the comment I saw this posted, but it was a comment from Tiger I think last year about if he thought that the two tours would reconcile, and he basically said, "And if Greg Norman is there, that's going to probably make it impossible." And so this does make it seem like. Maybe this was done behind Greg Norman's back and the Saudis will just give him a check to go away. Maybe. I mean, what, what, what was his role in the, in, he was the CEO. Got it. He was the CEO, but he's not going to be the CEO of this new organization. 
No. It's also He's, interesting. I, I do think that you're right. The, the the live players are celebrating this because they get does that mean that they were less satisfied with live and more dissatisfied with the money? Like, do you well, I mean, I had heard I had heard um, from people that know some of the live players that there was a lot of dissension because of the way things in the first year started, where they're flying around on the, you know, the the plane of the of one of the Saudis, and then all of a sudden now they were the captains of the teams or the owners of the teams were having to deal with a lot of the transportation and a lot of the expenses. And like, it wasn't, I don't think I'm imagining DJ. I'm imagining DJ being like, okay, giving out like allowances to his players for travel. That's essentially what was happening. I know. And he, he's, know. Actually, he's actually the player that I'm, that I'm referencing because it's so um, funny to think of this. Yeah. It, it, I think the whole thing was, Live. I think a fact is that Live was was um, I won't say struggling, but it was definitely like a startup in its in its like startup challenges, right? Like the, you know, they, obviously all these guys had a bunch of individual money, but like um, they were definitely they were definitely facing some interesting challenges. So what do we what okay. do we think happens to Team Golf? Because Live, you love to talk about how Team Golf and PGA said we'll incorporate team based elements. Blah 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 blah. I personally well, I, didn't think the team thing was it made much sense because it isn't team. It's like you're just adding up guys. It's, it's it, people aren't playing together as a team. They're playing individually, and then you just add up stuff at the end and say, "Oh, this team won." Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, one one interesting thing is they were they were saying there's not. I was listening to Tony Kornheiser this morning. Do you do you want me to say? I ha- wait, yeah, wait, no, I want to say not. I, I figured out how to describe live team golf. What it is, is it was a fantasy golf, basically. That's what it was. It was fantasy golf. These guys are playing on their own and then they owned their own fit and then they owned fantasy teams. They were on f- their own fantasy teams, literally. Okay. You think that's a good analogy? I didn't really follow the format of live that well. I don't think I ever okay. watched so it. You live, just added any, up any the scores. Okay. So you have these teams of four people, I guess. 12 teams of four. Yeah. 48 golfers, 12 teams of four. And the, and the top two players scores counted the first two rounds and the top three counted the last round. And so you added up the scores and then the team wins. Like it's, it's an individual sport. These guys aren't playing together. Then it's not best ball. It's not, you know, it's nothing like that. It's like, it's a fantasy product basically. Okay. I'll let you. Okay. So when I was listening to Tony Kornheiser and he was talking to Steve Sands from the golf channel and they were talking about this whole thing and they were talking about like team golf in the U S and how like people that watch PGA golf, like they don't like to watch, they don't know what team golf is. And then I was thinking to myself, like as a golfer, I love team golf, right? Like I, love the idea of like playing best ball, like two, like, you know, but that's two team of us golf. against them. The, the, I'm going to say me, the PGA can, tour has more team golf than live. Yes, you can finish. Can I finish? Can I finish? And so my point to you is why for a sport like, and, and I don't, have you ever played alternate shot or scrambles or anything like that? Like these, these, these are no all very, these are all very fun to play. 
-hmm. And why uh, is something that we all enjoy doing? Why is that not something that we can um, uh, actually present as a, you know what I mean? Like why, why isn't it something that like the PGA can't present or why, like, is it, is it true that we have no interest in watching team golf or is, is it actually like if it were structured in a better way and, you know, broadcast in a better way and presented in a better way, would we enjoy watching team golf? That's my question. I think we do like watching team golf every year with the Riders cup and the president's cup. That's that, that is. And then you also have the Zurich classic, which is, you know, teams of two rather than a bunch of people being a part of a team for their country or continent or whatever. Yeah. Those, the Zurich classic doesn't really attract a ton of star players. I I don't, I'd wonder what the ratings are, but Xander and, and Patrick Antley play together every year. It's, I don't know. I mean, I think the Ryder cup, there's so much on the line in terms of pride and, patriotism, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it is a, I don't want to say it's like the masters, but it's, it's its own thing. It, it, it has a aura around it, I guess. Is that a good way of putting it, Jeff? Sure. Which, which the Zurich classic doesn't have, but, but th- that's, that's team golf, right? Like the live thing isn't actually team golf. Right. Let's not talk. I mean, not, let's not talk about live. That's not, I, you made your point, but, but immensely they, on the PJ is saying, Oh, we'll incorporate team-based elements. And I don't think that's yeah. Right. So hopefully they understand a little bit more about like what it, what it really means to, to watch team golf, because I think ultimately everything that we're saying, like, I think your, your point on the Ryder cup is great, right? Like there's this team aspect of it. There's nationalism. There's like all this kind of like, you know, interesting stuff to it. Okay. So I think, but the other thing, the, a big part of the Ryder cup is the match play. And I think, sure, but that's play, within the lens. Match that's play the is mo- the best. I think match play is very interesting to watch. But that's, it's also within the lens of a team. Like we did when we went to a and played, we did a, um, we had four uh, rounds and we had two, we had eight people and we broke into teams and then we did best ball teams for the first two rounds. We did alternate shot where all eight of us played at the same time. It was pretty fun with, with, uh, with four caddies and you just all, but cause you're only playing four balls. So you're playing in the same, same speed. Right. So we all played together. And then the last day, the winners got to choose, sorry, the losers got to choose the singles pairings to like, see if they could make up all the points. Right. And so you had your singles match. And you didn't want to let your team down and like get, you know, because the way we did the scoring, which was pretty fun, was the front was worth a point, the back was worth a point, and the overall was worth minimum of two points, maximum of whatever you won by, essentially. So if you won the match by six holes, you would get an additional six points for winning the match, Um, really an additional four points on top of the two. And so... You know, there was a lot of of uh, strategy in terms of the pairings, and it was pretty fun. So that's team golf, right? There's like strategery and like all that kind of stuff involved. And yeah, for the alternate shot, figuring out who your alternate shot partner would be, we did it so that that those teams would get the you know the average of the handicaps. Um, it was pretty fun. We should do a team golf thing where me and you pick our teams. 
and we each get to draft three listeners and we play against each other. That actually would be really fun. Maybe we should do that. We well, should do that Jeff, you're going to like it because you, you, you have more high profile connections and can find more. You could find. No, we want, we want, listen, we want listeners. We don't want high profile. Con- I'm not like going to bring. Yeah. You're, you know, you're going to draft. You're going to introduce them to the podcast and make them our eighth and ninth listeners. Yeah. Bring Joel Damon and Phil Mickelson. Exactly. And um, who's the best golfer? I'll just, you've ma- ever I'll just make sure Joel Damon gets really drunk the night before. Who's the best golfer you've ever played with? Probably Shane. Yeah, Shane's really good. I, I think mean, she, I mean uh, Shane is really, really good. Do you think Phil Mickelson's better than Shane? Because I've played with Phil Mickelson, so it's well no, you, you stood in the bushes and took a picture of him. Yeah, right. I mean if you if you post the picture on Twitter, it it looks like you're hiding in the bushes. So there was no self. I was hiding in the bushes. Okay. I have a I have a selfie with them. Maybe, maybe you were taking a picture while you were pissing in the bushes. I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, uh, anything more on Jeff, Jeff, needs, talk to... Jeff needs to be looking at Phil Mickelson to be able to pee. Otherwise, he gets. How, how about this, Rufus? Top three predictions of what's going to happen. Based, on, we can go one at a time. You go first. I'll go first. Top three things that you predict will happen uh, based on this "quote unquote" merger. I was going to say I don't think that I don't think guys like Rory are going to be made whole for not taking the live money or I don't think there's any way of doing that. So I think those guys my prediction is those guys do get shafted by this in a way. Jay Monahan doesn't survive this. Oh that's I mean that's like No it is is to, it though? What would you make? Well, what would you make? I don't no, know the like corporate this... structure, right? The question is, how do they? How does he get forced out? Is it a public relations backlash? Is it? I mean, I guess what? That's not Mike. That's not that absurd. Of okay, Jeff. So my question then is, what's the impetus for this? Because if it's not a PR thing, I mean, the, the PR is bad, but it's. I mean, people hate Roger Goodell, and he survives. Well, because the people hate like him? him, right? The, the owners, players, the, ones. the players, like the, the players don't like him, right? And so, who are the power brokers here? If Jimmy Dunn, if PIF want him in power, if the sponsors are okay with Jay Monahan, then do the players have any actual okay, so Rufus, way of that was ousting why, him? That's okay. That was why that this is not a ridiculous prediction, right? You said, oh, blah, like like the whole point is like we went over a bunch of things that were we knew were facts, and now you and I are just throwing out some predictions. I, I, I'm asking a follow up question to your prediction. How do you think this will go? How how will it go down? I I it is hard for me. So when you think about how this all went down, right? Um, some a former PGA player tweeted out something about you know essentially that it, the the lawsuits were such that the PGA was going to have to tour was going to have to reveal things that they didn't want to reveal. Right. And that's why they ended up doing this is to get rid of the litigation and move forward. And so there is, I think if you want to go to first principles thinking, right, I would say there's some first principle thinking, which is that there is something um, that we don't know that drove this decision. Right. It isn't, right. I mean, the, the Occam's razor answer is that it was all money, but 
it seems to me that there had to have been something besides just money. But but something that would yeah. Something that is still at its essence money though, right? If the PGA tour had to disclose things about tax breaks they got, et cetera, that would hurt them monetarily. So I think it's it still comes down to money. Yes and no. I mean, I think ultimately the the repercussions of that probably are money, but like, you know, maybe I don't know. I don't want to allege anything. Does, has anybody that, like, do we know if Jay Monahan's wife is like alive, like being held for ransom? Okay. Okay. Enough for the enough of the enough of the jokes. Enough of you trying to prove you're funnier than me. Okay. Uh so back to this the predictions. Do you have any other I'll, predictions? I'll go back to being not funny because that, There's like, what, by the way, there are a lot of people out there that really don't like me. I was like, I was like reading some of the comments and I was like, man, that is like, like people like that cold comment about me and our like, our just be more so likable, Hillary. The, the question, Rufus, that you asked last week about um, the whole idea of like, have you changed during the podcast? Like, I don't think I answered that well, but I don't think people understood that what I was trying to say is that, and and I didn't say this very well, which is that ultimately, like, we have become, like, sort of more tolerant of each other in some ways. Like, I become more tolerant of like how to. I'm not saying that's like a marvel in my personality or anything. I'm just saying like the reality is that like, like we used to get on these podcasts, and I would be kind of annoyed with you at the start of the podcast, and it would come off in the podcast. So people have said like. Oh, it's nicer now that you guys don't just yell at each other and argue with each other anymore. So or talk over each other. Okay. So 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 there was this resentment that you had that that you never told me about. Well, you knew when so, I was so, annoyed. So, so with the you. way the way you so clearly it hasn't been being more di- of a direct communicator. <laughs> no, <laughs> but you remember the I time think- that you were like you were like Tom told me Tom told me that you need to be nicer to me on the podcast and I was like that was I probably funny. do need to be nicer to you on the podcast. I I will say that what you said last week it, like it did come off as you saying, "Oh yeah, well, I've learned how to tolerate Rufus's flaws." And then basically you just listed my flaws rather than how you've grown. And that's Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, do that that that's okay. You know, you that, it was it was again. your turn to talk. <laughs> Again, I said it was a bad answer. I'm owning the fact that okay. it was a bad answer I, and it's a bad way to, but like, I do think like being like people's, I mean, also people's flaws are their flaws. Like, you know, you and I have talked about like the areas that I think you need to work on. And you've told me about the areas that I need to work on. Like it's, it's like a, it's like grown. a, anyways, let's, this is, we're, this all, we're all trying the, to be the best versions of ourselves. That's this that's, isn't the Rufus and Jeff one to grow on episode. Like, okay, let's finish up this. Okay. This so we have two thing. predictions. This is, I mean, I'm the one with ADHD. And, well, and, I mean, and what would you, I, I don't know. Rufus, people... What would you, what would you make the line on Monahan being the commissioner of, sorry, remaining in his current role? What would you make that to be? His, um, what would you make the line to be like by say by the end of this year? So say by the end of calendar year, 2023. Ooh, when does the merger actually happen? Well, we don't even know if it's like, this is a hard handicap, right? It is. It is. I mean, 
Yes, he's part is, of it. Is, is, is being is being is someone that doesn't understand all the intricacies of how he could be removed. I would say something close to even money makes sense. Unless I mean, I think if he if he I think if he leaves, it's going to be on the earlier side. I think you'll just see a resignation type situation. But, but what would you make the line? Come on, make a line. I said even money. Even money. So I either side I can get minus one ten. No. What even money is the no vig price. I right. So either side I, 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 I can would get never minus book a market like this. So either side I can get minus one twenty. Who are you, William Hill? Uh, I'll give you minus two hundred either side. <laughs> I told you I wouldn't. I wouldn't book this. Who are you? So I'm who's, trying not I, to book it. I told you I, I'm not. I told you I won't book it. I'd rather yeah. be circa okay. and say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not going to book it. Then, then okay. so offer a good, market that's good, minus two. Good question. Good question, though. Okay. And then any yeah. other predictions that we have out of this, like that you think? Of, can you think of? Hmm. Do you have another one? We'll go snake order. <laughs> Just to give me some time. Um, I predict. So we said the Jay Monahan thing is interesting. The not paying back or the not getting paid back or the not being made whole. Uh, I do predict that they uh, the they will try to extort some money from the live golfers to get back into the PGA. And I think it will be it will start as a relatively significant amount of money, but may not end up being a significant amount of money. Follow up question to that. Since these deals were never actually public, we don't know the structure of the deals. How do they go about doing that? Because if you have a if you try to charge Cameron Tringale the same amount of money to rejoin the PGA tour, assuming he could actually qualify for the PGA tour, um, as you charge Cam Smith, you know, that doesn't make sense. Right. Right. So the people that got the big signing bonuses are the ones that make off really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, I guess I'll predict that Greg Norman will be out, will not be in a position of power in this. And my thought is that's why this went down in secret a little bit, because the Saudis are okay with doing it behind Greg Norman's back. And so maybe my prediction is, that it comes out that this was done without any of Greg Norman's input or approval and that he's kind of gets left out. What's I don't your have data? To, I don't have data to go off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just gut. What's your like wild ass prediction, like completely just off this, you know, like what the craziest, the not like something you really think would happen. But okay. Like the craziest thing that could happen. It turns out Bryson DeChambeau is actually a robot. Is that really what you're going to go with? You don't want to go with something kind of like realistic and fun that could be oh, like... you just told me something crazy roof that roof. I didn't think would actually happen. Okay. Um, can you give me an example? Um, that next... That in two years, there is a AL and NL equivalent of golf where there are all-star teams and there's a league structure and, you know, there's just some whole like new, like kind of like Ryder cup style, 
like us versus them kind of thing. I like that. That's a, that's a good crazy prediction. I don't think I can top it, except maybe if if Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau are on the same team, and then fake a Vegas wedding just to for PR. Okay. I mean, like you're not like the, the it's a fun game to think about this, but maybe not. Uh, you have a tilted moment of the week, or are we we done with that? Like you never have tilted moments because your life is so great. I just try to be a positive person, Jeff. Should we get rid of the tilted moment? Should we get rid of the tilted? How about what's your most unrelatable? What's the most unrelatable moment of the of the week for you? What did you do in an unrelatable way? Um, I, I spent I spent the weekend up in Maine actually, and so that was that was fun. I got to eat some smoked mussels. Very unrelatable. Mm-hmm. I'm trying I to think. My, I moment. saw my brother. That was great. He's very relatable yeah. though. He is. Really and I'm human. under contract on a condo now. So the, now, now I'm going to have a lot of tilty moments in terms of in, in the next like three weeks, probably. But those were kind of all like very relatable things that you just talked about, though, like going on vacation in Maine and like we need like some crazy unrelatable story. But maybe we'll leave that to me. I think my my relate my crazy unrelatable stories are ones I don't want to publicly share. I don't know. Okay. Let's welcome in Ted Knutson, our good friend, uh, CEO of StatsBomb, and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in one of our good friends, one of our favorite guests, Ted Knutson, to the Bet the Process podcast. Ted, how are you doing? I'm good, but I think you tell everybody that they're one of your good friends slash favorites. That's actually not true. Rufus is not one of my good friends slash favorites. Actually, just kidding. Rufus is probably my favorite. Um, what uh have you had a great meal lately? That's a real question for you because like we see you posting unbelievable like uh food porn on on Twitter and Instagram. Um, what's the best meal you've had recently? Ooh, so yeah, I was in New York City recently, um, had uh, Crown Shy, which I was surprised by. Uh, very good quality, not crazy expensive. I tried 11 Madison Park's plant-based um, menu for the first time. I don't know if people know that, but like formerly the world's greatest restaurant or one of them. Um, they switched to all plants during the the pandemic. And you know the, the early stages were pretty bumpy, but I was impressed. And I like to learn about more plant-based stuff. And I would definitely go back in, in the plant era. Um, the degree of difficulty in pulling off like an awesome Michelin star menu uh, in just plants is, is good. I think the best thing I've eaten recently, though, is a place called Hyde in London. Uh, the Hyde above one is maybe one or two stars. Really great adventure, lovely area. You get to look out over Hyde Park. Um, but mostly I post food stuff on, on Twitter to keep myself out of trouble uh, for posting sports takes or you know data takes or industry takes. So. so segueing into that, you are the CEO of StatsBomb uh, for our seven listeners, probably three of which don't know who what StatsBomb is. Please tell us a little bit about what StatsBomb is. StatsBomb is one of the world's foremost data generation companies in the sports space. We have a soccer product where we work with over 225 teams around the world. Um, we also produce the very high quality gambling data for people that run sports betting hedge funds in the soccer space. 
And then uh, in the middle of last year, we launched our American football data, which has about 10 times as much data per game as PFF on the base data. And we now do 30 hertz, uh, so 30 frames a second tracking data for the NFL and for NCAA football. And we do tools on top of that, which is actually the most important part to help coaches analyze uh, players and also next opponents and self-scout. So when you think a little bit about sort of this data problem and, and Rufus and I have talked about this on the podcast and I think things like ChatGPT um, have made this come to fruition, which is essentially that this, you know, middle layer of analytics and sort of like machine learning and AI is, is becoming a bit of a commodity, meaning like everyone has similar skill sets, but really data is an area where you can create a moat and create, um, you know, new, new, you know, new advantage or advantage broadly. Do you agree with that? I guess at some level. And when you think about creating new data products, like what is the, what's, what's the building blocks or what's the, what, what's the process, how you do that? It's such a funny thing that's happened. So I started this company at the end of 2016, start of 2017, and we were doing it just to improve kind of the sports that, that I cared about at the time. Uh, we wanted to create better data. We used humans at first, and then we started to, to add technology to automate things. Nowadays, like the technology that analyze stuff is sort of, you know, as you say, a commodity. It's broadly available. Tell, you know, put that into the AI. Tell me the thing that plugs out. There you go. The difference in all of that the entire time is the data that you operate off of. And when we've been automating some of our human processes, we still use the humans to make sure that we produce like really good quality stuff. Like you can automate maybe 85 to 90% of a thing with really good quality video in the sporting space, but that last 10% really matters. And in fact, that's your edge, right? If you're a gambler, that's your edge. If you're a, a person that's trying to get better results out of the draft, that's your edge. And the only way you do that is by really giving a shit about every piece of data that you generate and then put into your models. Got it. And so as you guys have done that in, you know, soccer, you know, how have you, you know, you started, there was obviously opportunity and then you kind of continued to evolve it. Was there, a, have you come up to a, what I would say, like, a, like, is there diminishing returns at some point, or do you continue to be able to, to find places for edges? I think that right now we continue to find places for edges, partly because the technology is really advanced over the last five years, the the ease of which you can sort of run AI on top of things. And we own our own tech stack, so we're not operating on somebody else's tech stack, but that means we also had to do the hard work to, to build that. Uh, the edges are still there. And the next step is always like, all right, so where do we think that, you know, the next edge is, do we have data on that? Can we collect data on that? If we don't, some teams, you know, uh, it goes back to the story of, uh, of Sam Hinkey told me he's like the Houston Rockets in 2008, uh, farmed out videotape data or video data collection to a collection group in India. And what they were doing was they were taking the location of the player center mass every half second to create tracking data for the NBA. And then maybe for, for college as well. So they were creating their own data advantage in the league back then. And then that got sort of uh, democratized across the whole league. Uh, you can keep doing that uh, many, many stages down as long as you find new areas to analyze inside of the game that might matter. Got it. Now, as you approach um, the NFL, what what has been the sort of process there? And And, you know, you talked a little bit about where you compare it to PFF, 
um, were they a motivating factor for getting into this? And like, you know, how has that process gone for you? They weren't a motivating factor to get into it. It was more looking at the sports themselves and kind of the places that they were. So we actually started developing our uh, American football data in 2020. And at that time, there were a lot of arguments about, you know, should they go for it on fourth down, like, you know, or two point conversions or things like that. And when that is sort of like happening in a, in a nascent way in the, the ecosystem, a conversation, you're like, look, I think that this is triggering into an analytics moment or analytics space. Uh, and so we decided that we want to do that. The other factor that got us into this is one thing that StatsBomb have historically been very good at, and, and I allegedly have been as well, which is visualizing data to create insight. And we looked at everybody's visualizations for uh, the football space and, and decided that, honestly, there, there weren't very many good ones, uh, especially compared to what we'd seen in, in the soccer space. So if we could do that and use better data and give them sort of productivity gains in the insight, we had a chance to be successful in that space. How much do you think is happening at the team level that you don't know about? Meaning like the Sam Hinkies of the world capturing the data themselves and not having it out there. Oh, in American football, I think there's a lot of it. I think there's probably five to 10 organizations that are super secretive that have been running this stuff for quite a long time. Uh, there's definitely one West Coast group and, and certainly one East Coast group. Uh, that... Can I guess? 49ers yeah, sure. and Eagles. Eagles. 49 I was I was not going to say Ravens. Eagles. Ravens. Oh, okay, so these these are the ones that everybody knows about. I, I meant the ones oh. that no one talks to. Huh? That are collecting their yeah. Okay. They've I, they've I won a ton of Super Bowls. The Washington football team. They've won a ton of Super Bowls, and they will lie to you about whether that they use analytics. The Patriots. You can very clearly see the yeah. fingerprints of analytics all over it. Yeah, I, I think the. The, the paths have been super secretive, you know, a friend of Jeff's and mine, you know, from the MIT space will just tell you that the paths won't talk to you unless they really want to come find you and talk to you. And then once they do, they'll put like 10 PhDs in a room with you. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there are a couple of teams that very clearly are doing things, you know, on the side to, to generate advantage and they won't tell you about anything. In fact, they're careful about the questions that they ask. So they don't leak anything back to you, which again, I respect because I existed in that space before too. What's the big, what do, what do you think the biggest change we're going to see in American football data um, in the next year or two? Offensive defensive line, I think is going to change a lot um, based off of what we're looking at and what we're producing. I think that that's one of the hardest areas to analyze historically. And people are going to find, we've created a bunch of metrics that haven't existed before that we put into sort of visualizations, distributions, et cetera. So that's a big one. Um, we're actually going to release uh, I think the 21, 22 season of NFL, maybe by the end of the summer so that people will be able to see the whole season and go play around with that. And I think that that, you know, much like the big data bull stuff, uh, people will be able to do things with that and really will ramp up the skill sets because I think that the, it's not super democratizing the access and it'll drive insights that we haven't had, you know, great access to before, at least in the public space. I I'm not going to say that some of the teams haven't, you know, put a 10 year head start on it. Cause I think they have. That's a great point though. I mean, when it costs $50,000 for anybody to just even look at the data, you're not going to, you're only going to have a few people that can look at it. So let's going back to this, you know, pro teams or NFL teams being, you know, already on the sort of data bandwagon in terms of as a business, does that worry you or does that make you think like, 
well, we're on to the right thing. And, you know, theoretically we have a bunch of other customers that we can then use, or we can approach us in a different way. There's no reason they wouldn't want to add us in addition to what they do. So I, I think there's like sort of tears inside of that question. That's really insightful. If we hadn't had the success that we had in soccer, where we are probably the most loved vendor in the space, and no one says they fucking love their data vendor. Everybody hates their data vendor. So so hopefully that makes us a little different. If we hadn't had that success, then I'd say that the the NFL struggles so far where switching costs are fairly high. Sometimes it's literally just, oh, well, we know our coaches like that data, so we're not going to make any changes. Like, well, what if we're like a lot better? Like, nah, we're fine. Um, then I would be worried, but the reality is the NFL is like 32 teams. There's 130 teams in FBS or 135 now. And those people don't have anybody that's technical for the most part across the whole spectrum. And so by building a better set of tools there, like we think that we're going to change college football, we're going to use AI to do more classification and help people who, you know, spend time monotonously tagging video as an analyst and help them think better, uh, maybe tag some new stuff. So that's going to be, be there. Eventually we'll go down into the high school space and give them the same set of tools as well. Uh, but as you know, I would be super worried if we hadn't had success in the soccer space as we have, like, we just know that if we keep at it, like we're going to find, we're going to find a foothold. And once we do, like, it'll take off like wildfire. So is the dream then, so let's say this takes off like wildfire. Everybody, every team has, uh, has stats bomb football data who gains an advantage then one the insight and the execution are still the most important parts right like so are you getting insight out of things like insights hard to commoditize uh somebody sees one thing in a, in a visualization or a play another they see a different thing um and the execution getting that down to the field remains huge and then there'll be this other bit where like you know we'll give you a set of data you can do what you want but Rufus, you've worked with data. Like there are a bazillion ways to slice any data set and you bring your own biases just into your analysis. So like it's a it's a much more complicated, I guess, stew that you stir in order to come out with a useful game plan and you know who sh we should rank inside of the draft in these bazillion ways uh, than, than just, oh, well, you've got data. Oh, it's all the same. We're going to come up with the same conclusions. Okay, so we should view this. I mean, obviously there's the data part and then there's the analytics part on top of it, but but you're- in essence, giving giving teams the tools, and Jeff wants to say something too. Well, no, because it's this. Is, I think this is a really interesting, broader question about analytics, data science, machine learning, AI, whatever we we call it, right? Because I started this conversation with the idea that like a lot of the quote unquote analysis, right, or the the actual like AI or machine learning is becoming commoditized, meaning like there isn't big edges to be had there. And Ted is actually kind of saying the opposite, but I think the nuance of this is that the actual like uh, tools that you have, like whether you're going to do a logistical regression or whether you're going to do like, you know, decision tree or whatever you do, you, whatever you do, right. Those are commoditized, but the way you approach those analysis, the questions you ask and the way you take that and actually implement that into a system, there is a huge amount of gain there to be had that's not commoditized. Wait, so Jeff, you're saying that, and, and Ted, you're saying that machine learning and AI hasn't solved sports and sports betting? Sports betting's got a lot being, harder over the last I know you're being years. flippant. <laughs> Facetious. No, yeah. but I, 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 I think it's an important thing because like Rufus, you talk about this a lot. And I think ultimately I when, you, when you and I like argue about your worth in the world, and I'm actually saying you have a lot more worth than you say, 
it's because I think that you're, because you always talk about how you don't have like this classical back, you know, training and like, there's other people that are so much better than you at this. I think your secret sauce or your power is being able to like ask the insightful questions, understanding the sort of machinery behind these sports or behind whatever. And, and then ultimately like doing that analysis yourself through brute force. And like, you're not the best at that doing that analysis. Right. But you are one of the top at asking those insightful questions. And like, you know, when you think about some of the background that Ted, that you've had, again, you're similarly, like when you and I sit around and you talk about leaks in a game, um, talk, can we, can we talk about the, the throw-in thing or are we not talking about the throw-in thing? We can talk about it. It's, it's insane. It, it, Jeff and I were sitting, I think in the win uh, in Vegas and he was asking me questions about his, uh, I guess your favorite soccer team. Is that, is that who they are? And I, and <laughs> I was like, Crowley? look, I, 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 I'm not going to claim either way. Anyway, like anonymously, his favorite soccer team. Um, and he's like, it's the same question that a billionaire in Miami asked me, uh, which is like, why doesn't every team have somebody that has like almost an NFL arm to take these throw-ins? And I said, because they don't realize, first of all, it's an advantage. And second of all, they don't know how to train it. And then third of all, they don't know how to scheme it. Like, so there's like this three-step thing. First of all, you have to know that there's a problem, right? <laughs> you can do better. Second of all, you have to figure out, oh, well, how do we start to solve that problem? And then third of all, you have to execute the solution to that problem. In my mind, it is completely and utterly broken how throw-ins currently work to the extent that if teams did what we would do on the field, like we think that there would be a rule change from FIFA because that is how broken this area of the game is. But no one actually does it yet, so we can't prove that. And I don't care to educate them too much more on, on how, how it's broken, because you know we only get paid by one team every year for that. You get paid specifically by a team to educate them on throw-ins. We, we do one exclusive deal a year on set pieces um, with a team. And we have done that for the last couple of years and we get pretty well paid and we have pretty good success at it. And actually our family tree of people that we've trained also have quite good success at it. So it's, uh, you know, if you create one goal in the Premier League, it's like 2.5 million pounds of, of value. So it's, it's not hard to justify. Interesting. Um, Rufus, any other questions for Ted? Uh, do you have any thoughts on this whole messy thing? Uh, I think the reporting on it has been uh, a mess. I think that it's been leaked across a number of different groups in order to generate sort of FOMO and negotiations. And we've seen kind of crazy negotiations in the soccer space for a long time for the top players. You know, it's like someone bidding on the a priceless work of art. Uh, yeah, well, it has a price on it. It's just that, you know, who who decides to, to hold the bag at the end and can they afford it? Um, coming to the US was kind of a long-term thing. He has a ton of property in Miami that his people have been invested in for a, for a long time. He probably has a ton of property everywhere because he's that level rich. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's it's fun. Also, they have a coach opening as well, which is you know intriguing. So he's going to get like the coach of his choice there. Uh, but yeah, dude's getting paid no matter what. And people are lucky to be able to see him. Uh, people will travel. This will actually probably get the Miami Stadium deal done, which has been a big problem. They play up in Fort Lauderdale. But that's all sort of industry gossip that you guys probably don't care much about. I was going to ask, yeah. yes, not, not related to Messi, but, but what Jeff had said about sort of asking the right questions. Do you think that is your moat, Ted for, and stats bombs moat? Obviously you all have the tech, you have a lot of technical skill, amazing developers, amazing analysts, but how much of it is knowing the right questions to ask and knowing what data to even think about creating? That that's what it is. That that bit right there, that combination of 
what do we care about that might change our game or, or industry? And then how do we generate data that is reliable and objective to give us enough information to make decisions around that? Uh, it's a, it's sort of a, a two-pronged process. And, you know, honestly, most of the, the companies that we're competing against developed data for different reasons. They weren't sort of the, the Sloan super sports nerds. They sort of did it out of like, you know, a desire to create a media product or something like that. We tend to work very closely with people in the team space that actually execute the decisions to the point of embedding with coaches at the University of Miami for a year to learn more about like, you know, what are their pain points? How can we make things better? Um, and I hope that that continues across every area of development that we do, because as Jeff has said, like data on, you know, that your AI ML model operates on is going to be the most important thing. Last last question. Uh, you are a uh, savant as it pertains to running sports books. But for those people that don't know, you were an early person building out a lot of the stuff that Pinnacle does. Um, do you have any, you know, thoughts on what's happening in the U.S. in terms of legalization and and thoughts of of where it's going to go? I think that legalization has been frustrating for a while. Uh, it's a big market grab. I think the books are actually frustrated now too because they thought that you know they were going to get things through the different states faster. They thought it'd be more sensible. There are literally some states that it's it's basically unprofitable to have a a booking license there because of the way that they they chopped the the information around it. Um, I think that has to stabilize a little bit. I think the product space has also been super frustrating for people. Um, on the customer side. So there are a few new products. It feels like in many cases, the books that are there are gouging the, the margins versus what they thought was going to happen. Um, and I think that one new product development can be done. Uh, Jeff is all often sort of flogging, hey, you have this data, create new products in the gambling space. And we haven't done that until recently where we've got something that, that we'll talk about probably in a, in a different bet the process. So that is something that people care about. And the other part is if the legalization sort of stabilizes and you have similar rules across the states, I think then you can kind of get a little more differentiation among them. Maybe you get a chance of somebody sharpish to come into that market. Like, so Pinnacle exists up in Ontario now, right? And so it's a possibility. They're not afraid of legalized places. They just have to have the right sort of setup to do it. So basically the structure of state regulation is going to really and and this is kind of obvious but it's it's really going to hamper innovation for a while i i genuinely believe that uh unless you find something that you know is so interesting that it doesn't care about the structure on a state by state basis and and people are excited by it like we think we might have found something on that but i'm going to tease that for you know maybe a month or two's time okay sounds good ted thanks for joining us um and we'll talk to you again hopefully soon oh and ted Last thing, what restaurants in New York do I need to try? Oh, uh, I just saw today the to top list. So somebody's bringing Uchi over to New York, and that's my favorite place in Austin and Dallas, where I've had some lovely sake with Jeff and, and also Miami. Uh, so that one is high on the list, but uh, I'll, I'll try and send you something on the side to, to catch you up on that because I, I know you do like to eat, even if you're in really good shape for you know an old guy. Uh, Thanks, Ted. So that was our guys. I was going to see you. Ted Knudsen and uh, a little chat about StatsBomb and the future of this industry. Um, I think the thing that people don't realize with Ted is is how incredible his background is. 
to like talk about sports betting and data and analytics and all of that. And like the stories he has from working for a, you know, premier league team and also one of the biggest sports bettors in the world um, is, you know, they're pretty interesting. Um, what did you think about just sort of this idea of innovation in the United States being sort of stymied by this idea of state-by-state -state regulation? I think it makes sense because in one way they're having to spend all their resources in trying to get into these States. And so you remember what John Sheeran told us back in the podcast in September, 2021, he said he would love to be work, working on building better products and stuff like that. But right now they're working on, or at the time they were trying to open in Arizona and, and that's where their marginal right. dollars are going to be spent. And, and so I think the, the sort of slow moving nature of that. Yeah. And, and the fact that there's different, tax structures in each state and things like that. I mean, look, in New York, for example, you can't, there, you can only bet on golfers to make the cut. You can't bet on them to miss the cut. Whereas in other states, I think the same sports book will offer make and miss in, I think, New Jersey. So they're offering different products in different places because they have to have different holds. And I mean, I think that it's a lot more complicated than that, but I, I do think if we had some bigger you know, national framework, it would be, we would, it would be easier to innovate. Yeah, for sure. But, but I guess with the other side of that is saying, okay, this gives a small guy, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but you see some small upstart companies doing things different ways. So for example, sport trade or bet profit, like exchanges and thing, and well, which they would love the national framework to be honest, but, um, I don't know. I think you can have, you might, yeah. I don't know how much to say there. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think the I state by state, th thought. I think, I think, I think the state by state thing is going to be the bane of this existence of, of sports betting in the U S because it's killing all innovation for quite some time because the, you know, the, the differences and what you need to do from a technical standpoint and a regulatory standpoint, well, regulatory standpoint first, and that trickle down to technical standpoint really is just killing the opportunity to like, it, it, I mean, I, I just think about from my days as a tech technologist or whatever, like a, a startup person, the idea of having to run 50 different, no, I'm not a futurist. <laughs> futurists, don't, don't, futurists don't do anything. <laughs> Sorry. I know. Uh, anyways, um, do you have any picks for this week? In the RBC, like uh, last sure. week, you had Cantlay. I, that that didn't work out so well. Michael uh, Thor Bjornson. By the way, Cantlay was in great position, and then he was. In, just, he, was. he was six under after two day, rounds. He, I know what happened. Day got, three we, and day four. Actually, tilted moment was a hundred percent related to Patrick Cantlay, and we were looking so we were so good after two days, and we we were up over two hundred grand, and we gave back a lot of it. And we're up that much. And then also had a guys in contention or matchups that were still live. We're looking good. And then, yeah, I can't lay socked. We had can't lay against Romney and Scheffler. Have some tilt. Have some tilt in your there life. There was a little tilt there. Um, what, it, what, it, what do you like going in the RBC? I like a guy named Michael Thorbjornson. I like his name and I like him to win. He is, he, I don't know if you remember, but he contended at the U S open last year, I believe briefly. I don't, I don't even know who that is. He went to Stanford. 
he's a, a, I don't know if he's actually an amateur still. He was an amateur last nerd, year at the U.S. Nerd. Open. Um, yeah, what what did he finish last year? He's played last year at last year's U.S. Open. Actually, never never mind. He got cut. <laughs> Who there, there was some. So he's your pick. Contended. He's your pick of the RBC. Um, yeah. Oh, he got fourth place in the Travelers last year after the, uh, which was like the week after, two weeks after, and then he had a top twenty at the Dubai Desert Classic earlier this year. He's my pick. Um, I can. I'm gonna pick a golfer. I, I make him. I make him ninety to one. Um, which is pick a golfer. Pretty far off market, actually. He's one of these guys that these young guys where we, you know, I use a lot of it's still relying on his amateur data and, and project projecting him projectability matters when you're drafting football players and it matters for, for golf tournaments as well. So you can get him, you, uh, let's see, 130 to one at DraftKings at one point. I don't know. Uh, there's some 125 to ones. Um, FanDuel had 170 to one at one point that, you know, they took like $56 from me on it. So yeah, he's only he's only sixty thirty seven dollars and fifty cents. Sorry. Hmm. I wonder what's circa circa has him at ninety five to one, but there are you can there are over there are hundred plus one to ones on him out there. All right. So you're saying there's a chance. Saying there's a chance. Uh, maybe I'll give a little baseball pick that's at the end of the day today, and like oh, you know you can. That, Can we also just get the your your weekly update on your baseball and how many bad beats you've gotten? Uh, we we won last week. We we had a, a winning week last week, and the week before we had basically a, a slight winning week. So it's it's two weeks of of actual decency. So um, where where are you at units wise on the season? Not good. Like care not to share. Can you, can you give what are you at our percentage ROI? Care not to share. I'll I'll tell you when things get more respectable and it's not laughable. Is it double-digit um, negative ROI? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, um, I'm going to take – if this gets up there in time, I'll, I'll say like the only late game that we really like is like we like Texas um, against St. Louis. John Gray pitching today against Flaherty. What kind of line? Um, minus, 140, minus 140 or so. Let's see what, it, what it is Rangers minus on. 140. Are you factoring in the emotional trauma of Jacob DeGrom being lost to the season? The Rangers are really good. It's actually like their offense is really good. And it's, it's just like shocking to me. Like, you know, we almost had like, they were up, you know, whatever, two, nothing. And then two, one, and then gave up the lead two two whatever, not a big deal. Like, but then they just roared right back and won, you know, like in the, in the, in the bottom of the ninth, they just like three straight hits and it was over. It was like, no, no messing around. Um, Bruce Bochy effect. He's a great manager. He is I a good manager. Personally. Somebody could use the Giants. But no, I mean, here. the Rangers, I just looked it up. Their Pythag is 43 and 17. They've I'm telling you, they're good. Six runs and allowed 231. Looks like you're I don't minus think... 138. You can, like, if you get a minus 140 or better. I mean, they're not truly that good, but. They're, they're, I'm, I'm telling you, they're like. He's having career years. Like, shockingly. He's going to. Adolis Garcia leads the league in like, in like, uh, RBIs. Anyways, I know way more about baseball than I ever he's wanted to. He's 30 years old, 840. Yeah. 
I mean, they have guys like Simeon. Simeon's playing well. He's always been a pretty reliable offensive player. Corey Sager, uh, Nathaniel Lowe. Um, yeah, and, these, I mean, uh, these yeah. guys are outperforming their career numbers, clearly. But sure. they have some young guys, too. I mean, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, they've been, they've been fantastic. Yeah. yeah the Nathan Eovaldi signing, very, very good. Looks very, very good. Yes. Have you seen uh no, we no talk longer about with Zach your boys, F- the Red Sox? Zach Eflin, by the way. Have you looked at Zach Eflin's numbers? He kept telling me about him last week. Have they I know. Did they you dipped? ever look at his numbers? They're they're ridiculous. Um, 66 strikeouts, nine walks, eight homers allowed, and 66 innings. 3.31 FIP. Yeah, 3.31. I mean, that, that is yeah. good. It's yeah, it's good. It's good, okay. but it's well, not. It's not great. It's not top of the rotation. Sure. Okay. We'll let everyone go after that. And we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Peabody rankings, crunching all the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off of leaded. None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year, they just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information, turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah. Sam Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.